Hi, this is Elliot Berman. John Byrne and I are off this week celebrating the holidays, and we hope that you're having a great holiday season as well. We're bringing you an archived edition of This Week in AML, an episode from October of 2021, where we discussed the huge amounts of money that are hidden in U.S. real estate. We hope you enjoy this archive episode, and we'll be back to see you in early January. Hi, John. How are you this week? Hi, Elliot. Doing fine. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing okay, too. Um, so uh, with the Pandora Papers uh, coming out and all the articles related to that and the discussions that are going on, uh, one of the things that's come back to the fore is the whole uh, question around how real estate purchases are used to uh, hide uh, money, launder money. And there was a report that came out in early August that focused on that. Did you see that report? Yeah, it came out from uh, Global Financial Integrity, who we've talked about uh, a number of times during these conversations and during webinars, an advocacy group similar to Transparency International that looks at global and U.S. issues in the uh, money laundering and related spaces. So I thought that this, like you said, the study is getting a little more play now because of the Pandora Papers. And I think, um, you know, obviously the analysis done sort of confirms what we in the community have known for quite a long period of time, the misuse of real estate to, to move illicit funds. Yeah, the subtitle of the uh, report is Why U.S. Real Estate is a Kleptocrat's Dream, right, which, right. which is uh, uh, sort of says it all. But uh, uh, obviously, they get into a pretty uh, deep analysis. Um, so um, what are some of your big takeaways from the report and how it plays into this whole issue of, um, of uh, corporate transparency? Yeah, so a couple things. One, based on their report, um, they think at a minimum more than $2.3 billion has been laundered through real estate, but also including alternate assets like art, jewelry, and yachts. So as we know, the art world is uh, waiting with bated breath whether they're going to be covered under the Bank Secrecy Act after a report. That was the first one. The second one is what we've talked about before, gatekeepers, right? So they, they do believe that gatekeepers, you know, attorneys, real estate agents um, have facilitated real estate money laundering by high net worth individuals, uh, not just in the U.S., um, but obviously throughout the G7 and around the, and, and around the globe. So those were all, and then to, to your point, um, they also point to the Corporate Transparency Act, part of the AMLA law that they believe can really improve the infrastructure once it's implemented, that registry is put together. Yes. Um, and uh, they, they also, in some of their key recommendations, they, uh, they call on FinCEN to do a couple things, issue some guidance. I'm quoting here, red flag indicators and create reporting requirements for the real estate money laundering topologies related to commercial real estate transactions. They also call on them to issue some guidance to help define PEPs. Right. Because uh, as you know, and the community members know, uh, PEPs has always been a, everybody defines it a little different. And the whole question, is it only international? Um, the other thing uh, I want to be sure we point out is that um, this is a look at the U.S. real estate market 
but the players in that market are definitely uh, global. So there's lots of uh, bad actors looking to hide ill-gotten gains from around the world in the U.S. Uh, real estate market. Um, and so uh, this is not a U.S. only problem. It's clearly a global problem. Right. And as the Pandora Papers showed us, um, there's a number of uh, jurisdictions within the U.S. which are uh, as untransparent, if that's a word, as <laughs> offshore entities, you know, like South Dakota, Delaware, Montana, Alaska, Nevada, places like that. So a lot of these uh, shell entities are being created in the U.S. as well. So clearly a global problem. The other th- part of it that's more U.S., but I thought was interesting, they call for um, the geographic targeting orders to be made permanent. Right now, that authority gets extended during certain uh, per- for certain periods of time. And then uh, if FinCEN believes that it's important to continue it, they'll continue it. But uh, geographic targeting orders have been actually a tool that FinCEN has had since the early 90s and really wasn't implemented until um, the FinCEN director, uh, Jennifer Shasky Calvary, um, picked up on it and started to utilize it. So I think the use of that is, is pretty uh, – is not just dramatic. I think almost everybody believes that those should be, should be permanent. May, you know, maybe you have some provisions in there that could let them expire depending on hitting certain thresholds. But bottom line, I think for U.S. Uh, reporting, the GTOs have been successful, and I think that could, that could help deal with some of the uh, opaqueness of, of the real estate uh, market in the U.S., Yes, uh, agreed. Coming back to your comment earlier about uh, the report focusing on gatekeepers, uh, one of their recommendations, which um, I'm sure will get met with some resistance, is legal professionals should be made the lead reporting entity for identifying money laundering risks in commercial real estate transactions. So, uh, you know, almost every significant commercial real estate transaction obviously has uh, lawyers, uh, legal advisors involved, and uh, the report recommends that uh, you take the people in the best position and you give them the biggest responsibility. Right. So the reports, as you mentioned, acres of money laundering, why U.S. real estate is a kleptocrat's dream. It's on the Global Financial Integrity website. It's an August report. I would also say that um, relevant to what we're talking about today. We've just posted an interview uh, I was able to do with Kevin Hall, um, an investigative reporter, about his take on some of the themes in the Pandora Papers. And uh, Kevin never holds back. He's got some really good insight there. So that's a, that's a lengthier conversation than what we're doing today. But I would urge people, if they get a chance, to listen to that as well. Yes, uh, that went up on our website uh, this morning. So, uh uh, John, I'll do the shameless plug, and then you can do the one for the webinars. So for our podcasts, uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we have this uh, weekly series, and then we have other um, podcasts under the AML Conversations label, and we encourage you to uh, check those out. And John, uh, webinar? And the webinar in uh, October uh, will be on um, the audit function in financial institutions, how the BSA AML officer can work with and manage, challenge, and connect with um, inside and outside auditors. I think that's going to be a, a very compelling discussion, one that we don't talk about all that much. Agreed. 
Well, John, thanks again for another interesting conversation. Uh, you have a great weekend, and we'll talk next week. Take care, Elliot. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>